Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. Okay, Nick. Um, often I get asked um, by clients, you know, I, I do couples therapy from time to time, but I often get advice about relation or uh, get solicited for advice about relationships. Um, and, um, it's important that I keep my own kind of personal anecdotal information about relationships out of the conversation, but I thought this was a good question for us. What, what would you say is really good dating or marriage advice that you've picked up on, uh, at, from being a psychologist, not from your own personal experience, but from a psychological perspective? Yeah. So I think, um, most of what I've picked up on in terms of what would be classified as dating or marriage advice. Um, it's not like I studied this in school or I don't do couples. So I don't have any formal training or, or really even in a, any explicit formal expertise in dating or marriage. So I think that's really important to get, uh, be above board with that. Um, but as a function of my job, I hear a lot about dating and marriage so I, um, and unfortunately often the ways in which it goes wrong um, so I'm constantly so I just hear I just hear a lot of stuff um, and I think that has given me some insights into if nothing else maybe things that tend not to work and like things to watch out for um, so I'll ju- I just want to preface my if we're going to call this advice uh, that's where I get this it's not from any kind of formal training or Oh, experience. oh, so so you're saying what you're about to tell us, you've gleaned from your conversations with clients, both on what, what has worked and what hasn't worked. Yeah, it's just from observing what clients tell me. It's yeah. just from their stories. Okay. Um, and that's, I, I find that useful in my own relationships. Like I often hear things that clients, or I'll hear the same things over and again, over and over again. And I'll think, oh yeah, I got to make sure that I don't fall into that. Or I'm hearing that often enough that maybe I need to pay attention to that. Yeah, that would be good okay. for me to think more about stuff that like sense. that. Um, so that's a long preface, but I think it's important because like everyone, their dog has dating and marriage advice. Right. And I don't think anyone's interested in our just off the wall advice on dating and marriage. Probably not. I wouldn't be interested in our <laughs> advice. On that. I'm not interested in my own advice <laughs> sometimes on those things, but go ahead. Okay. Do you have a place you want, do you want to start with dating or marriage? Um, I, you know, I kind of did this just under relationships. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What does that say about us that I categorized it into two things and you kept it general? Um, Interpret probably that, that I like grand umbrella ideas and you like, um, which is, I'm teasing you because we're the opposite that way. You love <laughs> these like grand ideas. I don't know, literally that you probably followed the assignment, how we wrote it and I didn't. <laughs> Conscientiousness. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, what, lead off. What's your first general relationship piece of advice mm. that you've got? You know, I, I'm a, I'm a really big fan of um, research in relationships um, because I think number one, my my big overarching statement will be that healthy relationships are vital to your mental health. Um, and um, if you flip that, unhealthy relationships can be really detrimental to your health. 
And so because I'm just really interested in how relationships and your own mental health, uh, the interplay between the two, um, I've just started, you know, for you know the last few years to really realize how critical healthy relationships are. And I mean, of course, that's one of those, you could say like really super obvious um, uh, statements, you know? Sure. However, uh, I think most people will admit they have unhealthy relationships in their life and may not fully understand the impact that those negative relationships are having in their life and mm-hmm. on their mental health. So I think, or, or at least the aspects of their relationships are unhealthy. Sure. 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 Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I don't mean to say, yeah, most relationships are, are a mixture, but, um, I think it's really important that you take a look at the relationships in your life and give an overall assessment of, is this healthy to hold on to or not? You know? Mm-hmm. So, my my number one observation is just for for you to really kind of take note of just how vital it is that you have healthy relationships. Oh, that's good. That's a good overarching point. That, that maybe that's something people don't always assume, but that the quality of your relationships is going to impact your overall well being and mental health significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I mean, if I think about it, most of my clients are going to come in with anxiety, depression, you know, post traumatic stress. Um, obsessive compulsive, you know, a variety of disorders, but what we end up talking about a lot are relationships, you know, how, you know, their depression is affected by so-and-so and, and, and how this person responds. And, um, there are entire theories about how to treat, uh, disorders based on interpersonal relationships Mm -hmm. and interpersonal styles. So, um, even though a person may struggle with depression, uh, there's going to be relationships probably in their lives that are really supportive or really harmful. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard that um, there's a saying that uh, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with? Have you ever heard that before? No, I never, I've never heard that. It's like, I don't, I don't know who, I'm sure there was some person who said it originally, but it, it just floats around. And it, it's kind of an interesting idea that y- mm-hmm. you tend to, w- w- to me, what it makes me think is that we should be, especially thoughtful about what types of people we regularly interact with. I think that's not something we just kind of, we interact with people who come into our lives, but we don't think a lot about like, how is this particular relationship going to affect me and how am I going to affect this other person? Yeah. And that's a really good point. And it reminds me of uh, one of my favorite lines from a book um, that I, that I like a lot, but, and I, and I can't remember to quote the line exactly, but it basically says, I'm an amalgamation of the people I surround myself with. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of that idea that like, it, it may be worth noting like who you spend a lot of time with because they're going to impact you and who you are significantly. Yeah. And I guess that's how I approached a lot of these, th- this question was thinking of someone who's relatively early on in life and who is at a stage where they're um, going to be making some big decisions about really significant relationships. Um, maybe something fairly small, like what kind of college professor you take up to something like who you decide to marry. Right. Um, but it's worth, uh, yeah, it's worth being maybe more intentional than we, um, than we think we need to be about those. So my first one, um, was about dating in particular. Um, and I think, I think it can be really healthy to when you're young and starting off at least to date both seriously, but also 
at least a few people. Mm-hmm. So again, seem, seems obvious, but I, I see a lot of people who either have, have only had maybe one really significant relationship. And that, it just, um, it, it's sort of, it's not a lot of data. It's like not a lot of information about how, how what you like in relationships and what's important to you. And, and so when I think of dating, part of it is, a big part of dating is you're trying to figure out what you want in, out of romantic relationships. And you can't do that without data. Like you need information. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think in order to get good information about what you want out of a relationship, you need to you have to get to a point where you're dating somewhat seriously. If you just casually date forever, you're going to miss levels of depth and nuance that happen only in relatively serious relationships. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. But then also you just need different people because even if you go really deep with one person, it's still only one person and that's still not a ton of data. So I think if at all possible, I, I think, you know, again, just something I've observed is that people really benefit from, um, dating a mixture of casual and serious dating, but also dating multiple people fairly seriously. I like it. I do. I think that's important. I think getting a good, uh, what you're doing is getting a good sample of their behavior of, of, of behaviors or qualities or aspects of, um, relationships and people that you like and respond well to, but you're also getting a good sample of your own response to those mm-hmm. things. And that's an important thing too. Yeah. And you, and you just need experience. You just need reps and data. Yeah. Like various you, stimuli. You're not going to figure that out on your own. You're not going to like someone's dating advice is not just going to no. make everything click for you. You just got to get in there and Mix it figure up. out what works for you. I agree. Um, okay, go ahead. Um, my yeah, my second observation is that relationships. Oh boy, I get in trouble with this one sometimes. I, I feel like this is a fraught topic in, in <laughs> general. Is, so it is, but I'm going to go for it. Um, I feel like the only reason to be in a relationship is that there's uh, reciprocity. And let me explain that. I don't think it's an even exchange of this for that or anything, but you get into a relationship because you really enjoy. The, the person's company, you're attracted to them. They meet certain needs that, that uh, you like being met. You meet certain needs for them, you know, and you enjoy each other's companies. When, when that reciprocation stops or isn't, or is way lopsided or um, isn't working, that's not a good thing. So reciprocity in that, you know, you're supportive of each other, you care about each other, you enjoy each other, you're dedicated, you work for each other, you support. I mean, it should be kind of, a fairly even back and forth. Um, and oftentimes I see relationships in sessions that are really lopsided where one person is just giving their all and doing all they can. And the other one's just kind of along for the ride and, um, isn't reciprocating. And sooner or later that person is going to grow resentful and the other person's going to go resentful and angry that they're not getting anything out of the relationship or that their efforts aren't being reciprocated. And, and no relationship is 50-50, and, and there's the saying that each relationship should be 100%, 100%. But at times that you struggle, your partner may, you know, chip in more than you're chipping in. But then you should also look at times when they need support that you're reciprocating that. It should be a back and forth generally, I think, of needs being met, support, care, all of those things. So reciprocity is really critical. Yeah. 
So this, my next one is actually, I think dovetails with that pretty well. Okay. Um, that when, when you're thinking about selecting someone for a more long-term relationship, I mean, marriage is um, the obvious one, but even if you're, you know, thinking about, say you're going to make a big move with someone, you know, your long-term boyfriend moves across the country. Like, do you decide to move with them and continue with the relationship? Like that's a big relationship decision. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I think one thing to keep about with, to keep in mind with big relationships, uh, um, what I perceive to be a mistake that people make psychologically when they pick partners is they pick someone they feel like they need rather than someone they want. Mm. And so, and the other way to look at that is I see a lot of people who I think are, they're too complimentary and they're not similar enough. So when you first start, when you, uh, I know that's, you look confused because <laughs> compl- you know, finding someone who, who compliments you well, that that's such a right. truism. Like everyone says, like, that's what you should look for. But I think there's a lot of psychological danger in doing that. And what I mean is no, no one ultimately, if, if you have some sort of, you know, real need, something missing from you, you're not going to get it from someone else. Right. Fundamentally, like you're just, if you don't feel, you know, if you have struggled with, um, I don't know, all, all sorts of unhelpful, unhealthy kind of beliefs about, um, you know, not being worthwhile or not being lovable or, or something like that. I think uh, obviously other people affect that, but fundamentally that's something you're going to have to figure out and you cannot, it's very dangerous to go into a relationship either consciously or semi-consciously expecting someone else to do that for you. So if you're riddled with anxiety, mm -hmm. pairing with someone who is confident, super confident is great, but it's not going to give you confidence. It's very appealing in the short term because it helps bring you out of yourself and it makes you feel good just by association. But in the long run, those very rarely seem to work out well. You get into these uneven partnerships and ultimately, it doesn't actually address your thing, your anxiety. Someone else is 100%. not going to fix your anxiety. So I think it's it, it, it's tempting and exciting when you first meet someone. Like differences are exciting in part because they make us feel good. But what I've noticed is long-term kind of happiness in relationships tends to stem from a lot more similarity. And I, I, I think that's a uncommon opinion, but... From a psychological point of view, I, th- I think there's a lot to that, actually, that we, we overestimate the value of difference and complementarity and underestimate the value for long-term relationships in similarity. Right. I agree. I, I look at this as, yes, opposites attract at times, but it doesn't keep you together. You right. Know? And I see so many people, like the classic example is the, the kind of... Um, introverted shy quiet husband and the outgoing gregarious wife who like drags her husband all over the place and and you can see why that was appealing at first right Right. because the the extroversion of the wife is like helps the guy like get out more and the the sort of like stability of the the introvert helps the extrovert sort of you know stay anchored and grounded right and you kind of need that from you you feel like you need that from each other but i just feel like that is a recipe for disaster in the long run to right. not because when you six months in when you're like I don't want to go anywhere <laughs> I want to be alone <laughs> that doesn't go over right and so you, yeah and I don't know so that's my that's a that's a big one maybe almost the biggest one is that I think people should think more about the long term value of 
um, similarity mm-hmm. rather than complementarity in relationships. Mm-hmm. I kind of had that um, as well, so I'll present my next two. But one of them was just kind of learn to manage your stuff, um, your own kind of stuff. Because what I see a lot of are couples who say, I'm really insecure about this thing, so that means you have to do X. And um, that that's so dangerous, you know, for for a couple to place their insecurities or anxieties on another partner and say, you know, to accommodate my anxiety and insecurity, you're, you're going to need to do these things. And sometimes that works for a short, short-term solution, but usually long-term, it just is brutal for the other person. And so I think it's really important to learn to manage your own anxieties and fears without you know, demanding something of your partner. I think generally. One of mine here was everybody before they get married should go into therapy, regardless <laughs> of whether you have <laughs> any idea. kind of major depression or anxiety or you need to figure out your own baggage yeah. before you. Right. And, or and, not need, but it's a very, very good idea to figure out your own stuff first. And a good example of this is kind of just kind of jealousy. You know, you see a partner who's very anxious and, and fearful maybe about um, relationships. And so because of that, they insist that their partner not talk to people of the opposite sex or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Or you can't go out with your friends who are a mix of mil- You know, what I mean, there's yeah. this like, because I feel this way, you can't do this thing. And that's a recipe for disaster, I think. So the other part, though, um, this goes along with my healthy relationships are vital. Um, is get out of bad relationships. Mm. Do not tolerate bad relationships. And that's easier said than done, I realize. Um, But learning to say goodbye and to get out of a bad relationship or a relationship is vital. Um, It prepares, it hurts, it's hard. I'm not trying to invalidate anybody's experience, but if you are unable or unwilling or never practice doing that, um, it's only going to get harder. So I think it's good that once you recognize a relationship is unhealthy or um, not good for your own mental state, end it and get out. If I had to generalize across all the people I've ever worked with, maybe the most common single, the biggest single factor in what's making it hard for people to make progress is that they're, they're in unhealthy relationships. And, and often unwilling to tolerate the pain it requires to get right, out. Right. And it's not that they couldn't work through stuff in that, but that it, that is such a huge uphill battle. Um, and sometimes it's an impossible one. Sometimes the relationship is so unhealthy that it's it basically makes everything else virtually impossible. Yeah, it really does. It can start to just wreak havoc on all sorts of other areas of your life. And I think that's a good giveaway that you've got an unhealthy relationship is when the impact of that relationship is also damaging work and, you know, your other family or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you, I mean, when you start to see that the impact of one relationship is um, detrimental to other aspects of your life, that's a good sign that probably it isn't all that healthy. Yeah. So one uh, quick one I had here is I think it's it's very easy to, I don't think we do this, I, very rarely do we do this consciously. I think most people do it kind of semi-consciously, but they they choose someone who th- whom they are either inferior to or 
superior to in certain elements, or at least they perceive that to be the case. The perception, right. Yeah. And I think the reason we do that is when we, you can imagine someone who, like we talked about, the person who's very socially anxious and shy, you might pick someone who is very confident and outgoing, right? Because it, it makes you, it makes it easier for you to, to do those sorts of things. Right. So, but you create, you've picked someone where now there's this huge imbalance in the relationship. And that's, it's not that that's not navigable in the long run, but it makes it really hard. And the same thing, I think sometimes we pick people because we, we like to feel like superior. We like to feel very like, yes, yeah, exactly. And I, I don't think most of us do this maliciously. We don't do it intentionally but i think we the other way to look at this is we we often sort of semi-consciously avoid true partners and equals because they're challenging (laughs) yes right like a true partner is going to challenge you and you're always going to have to be growing right and so i think we if we're not mindful we can naturally sort of recoil from that and end up picking people who fall on either end of the spectrum which is a dangerous uh choice too because eventually you're going to not like that either and so you're going to be balancing back and forth between people who challenge you and people who um you kind of run all over or people yeah it it just doesn't work Mm -hmm. out good point very good point all right my last one that i'll say is um a lot of my clients have no clue about how to engage in conflict in a constructive way And so dating and selecting a partner or developing in a relationship, the ability to communicate effectively is key. And, and conflict is just part of every relationship. In fact, it's a healthy part of relationships. Um, if you do it well, if you don't do it well, it is torture, brutal, and really destructive to, again, your mental health. So being able to pick someone who you can, um, resolve issues with, communicate with effectively, and who can reciprocate that as well is really important, or at least developing that skill inside a relationship yeah. is really important. But I see a lot of people who their method for engaging in conflict is destructive, angry, um, demanding, uh, and, and just really brutal. Or the opposite side of the spectrum passive, passive aggressive, avoidant. And so that's where one of mine was assertiveness. Like you really need to learn how people to communicate assertively, to be direct and honest, but respectful. Right. It's a surprisingly hard thing to do for most of us. I think actually it's something we could all learn to do better. Yeah. What's, what's funny I think is if you know how to do this, you will prefer it over anything. Yeah. You know, once you, once you dial in on how to engage in conflict in a constructive manner, man, does it make your life easier and, and relationships. But if you don't know how, it's easy to just flail about in anger and seething mm-hmm. all the time. And you see com- uh, couples, or I see couples a lot who, um, you know, conflict boils down to just constant threats, name calling, screaming, yelling. It's brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Another one, this is a, 
it seems to me like a super obvious one, but I'm shocked at how many times I, I hear about relationships that are decades in and there are, there are and always have been fundamental disagreements about really big ticket items. So the, the, big, the three big ones that really come up all the time are money, politics, and religion. Ooh. So I, I constantly hear from people who are they're in the middle of and have been in the middle of major struggle with their a spouse or a long-term relationship. And it's about some issue like spending habits or politics that they, they were way on different pages with when they started getting together 20 years ago. And somehow they thought, Oh, it'll be fine. We'll be, it just does not happen that much. Like if you have major disagreements on one of those things, I just statistically, I think it's fairly unlike, like, I don't know. I, it, it's not optimistic. <laughs> Unless you know how to resolve and engage in conflict. Well, <laughs> And you're really willing to do it a lot. Right. Well, the other the other thing I would add to that list is child um, rearing. Yeah. Like, it's amazing how many couples I see that have children and they never agreed or never had a conversation about, about or resolved, about. like, how this was all going to go down. But that's a harder thing to do ahead of time. Is if it? you haven't been a parent, to think through what's my parenting no, style going to be that's and, like, how am I going to do discipline and... But I think you want to, that should be something you talk about. <laughs> Definitely you talk about before you have children probably or, yeah, yeah. But yeah, those four, I think you're right. Finances, um, politics, religion, and child rearing, yeah, parenting styles. I just think those, that, that, that sounds boring, but those are such, for long-term stability and happiness and in, in a relationship, like. Have those conversations up front. Man, yeah, and and honestly, like, try and be on the same page. Yeah, and if you're not, I mean, and, and it's a must for you. Really work through that ahead yeah. of time if you're not, if you have major differences on one of those. Yeah, if it's a if it's a need and and a, a must for you to raise your child, let's say in a specific church, and your partner is not mm-hmm. okay with it, that's not going to get better. Yeah, yeah. Okay, my my last point here, I want to throw in at the end is, I was thinking. Um, Okay, if what's the one personality trait that would be that I would really encourage someone? Like I was thinking about my daughters, and like when they're tiny now, but when they're at the age when they're dating and maybe even getting married, like, and they come to me and they say, "Dad, you're you're a psychologist. Like, what what should I look for in someone's personality okay. when it comes to a relationship?" Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, this seems like one of those moments where you could really stick your foot in your mouth. So I'm right on pins and you're ready. Yeah. <laughs> so I think flexibility looking for someone who has a personality where they're able to be flexible and willing to change their mind about things, I wow. think is so important for a relate because, and here's why, because relationships are always going to change your, your context is always, when you're first dating is very different than when once you're married, which is very different than when you have kids, which is very different than when you don't live in the same place anymore that you grew up in. Your, your marriage is going to change a lot. And if you pick someone who's not good at being flexible or adapting or changing to new circumstances, it's going to be really hard. Brutal. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think people change, life changes, circumstances change. Um, and, and, as a mental health professional and someone who's been in a relationship with someone who's exceptionally rigid, like that's a 
It's awful. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Being adaptive and being able to um, hear someone else out or adapt to a new set of circumstances, challenges. Change your mind. Yeah. When you're dating someone, do you have examples that they can change their mind? Yeah. If you don't, if you can't think of concrete examples of someone changing their mind, I would be very, very skeptical. I think you're right. I think that's amazing advice. I really do. That's a, that's a skill that if someone doesn't have, watch out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause, cause you'll be the one (laughs) changing your, your mind a lot. Very good. 